When we think about remembering, we think about a word that means to obviously keep something in mind, to keep something in our thoughts, to always be thoughtful of some things, some that are very important to us. We all reach an age, or in whether we reach a certain age or not, where we get a little bit forgetful. And that may or may not be of any real consequence, depending upon what it is we forget. But there are some things that are vitally important that we remember. The words of our Lord obviously need to be remembered. We must not forget the words of life. You shall know the truth, Jesus said, and the truth shall make you free. You shall know the truth. We need to keep it in mind. In reference to some of the Lord's words, the word remember is used specifically in Acts 20, verse 35, where Paul said, and to remember, in the latter part of that verse, the words of the Lord, who said it is more blessed to give than to receive. Paul said we need to remember that. That is something very important to remember. The writer of Ecclesiastes, the wise man Solomon, said, Remember now your Creator in the days of your youth, before the evil days come and the years draw nigh, when you shall say, I have no pleasure in them. In Revelation 2 and verse 5, the admonition there from Christ through John, the apostle was, Remember from whence you are fallen, and repent, and do the first works. Remember, that's an important word, in Scripture. And then in Luke chapter 17, in Luke chapter 17, we also find that word remember. And it is in relation to an Old Testament example. At verse 32 of Luke 17, Jesus in that discourse in which he is discussing the end of time and the preparation for that point in time, when time is no more, he uses an illustration and says, remember whom? Lot's wife. Remember Lot's wife. The question we ask tonight is, why should we remember Lot's wife? Think about that with me for a few moments tonight. You know, Lot was the nephew of Abraham. We go back to Genesis chapter 13 and we see where Lot, as the situation developed with his uncle Abraham, where the land was really not holding both of them and all of their flocks and all of their servants and so forth, Abraham, in a very, you know, a very generous gesture, he told Lot to just simply choose where he would like to be. Because verse 7 of Genesis 13 describes some strife that arose between the herdsmen of Abram's livestock, as Abraham was called back then, Abram, and the herdsmen of Lot's livestock. And also you had the Canaanites thrown in there and the Perizzites, the verse says, who dwelt in the land. And so Abram said to Lot, Please let there be no strife between you and me and between my herdsmen and your herdsmen, for we are brethren. Here's the kind of man Abram was. He said, it's not the whole land before you. Please separate from me. If you take the left, then I will go to the right. Or if you go to the right, then I will go to the left. What a magnanimous gesture. And verse 10 says, Lot lifted his eyes and saw all the plain of Jordan, that it was well watered everywhere before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, like the garden of the Lord, 
like the land of Egypt as you go toward Zoar. Then Lot chose for himself all the plain of Jordan, and Lot journeyed east, and they separated from each other. So we first notice that when this strife arose, Lot chose to live in a well-watered area, described as being like the garden of the Lord, but, but the people there were evil. Listen to verse 13 of Genesis 13. But the men of Sodom were, exce- Sodom were exceedingly wicked and sinful against the Lord. And later in Genesis chapter 18, because of their wickedness, we see that God had made a decision to destroy those wicked people. Verse 16, that discourse begins, goes through verse 33, but it simply says that the Lord had said, I'm not going to hide from Abraham what I'm about to do. I'm going to destroy the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. But in Verse 25, we see that, that God sent angels. God sent angels to warn Abraham. After Abraham had pleaded, well, if there are 50 righteous souls there, will you destroy it? God said no. What about, what about uh, ultimately getting it down to 10? He kept reasoning with the Lord and the Lord and His mercy said, if you can just find me ten righteous souls, I will not destroy the city. And of course, tragically, not even ten righteous could be found there. So God sent the angels, sent the angels to save Lot and his family. In Genesis 19, they were told to leave there. Escape for your life. Verse 17 of Genesis 19 when they had brought them outside, that he said, Escape for your life. Escape for your life. Verses, verse 16 says, while, while he lingered, the men took hold of his hand. Because in verse 15, they had said, Arise, arise, take up, take your wife and your two daughters who are here, lest you be consumed in the punishment of the city. And verse 15 says, And while he lingered, in other words, Lot didn't move fast enough. For these messengers, the men took hold of his hand, his wife's hand, and the hands of his two daughters, the Lord being merciful to him. Even though he was lingering, the Lord was being merciful to him. And they brought him out and set him outside the city. So it came to pass when they had brought them outside that he said, Escape for your life. Do not look behind you, nor stay anywhere in the plain. Escape to the mountains, lest you be destroyed. Do not look behind you. Leave the city and don't look back. But verse 32, or verse 26 says, But his wife looked back behind him, and she became a pillar of salt. Lot's wife perished. Why did she perish? And why did she perish despite certain things that she had done. I just want want us to think about for a few minutes tonight. Think about with me, first of all, that Lot's wife, whom the Lord calls upon us in Luke 17, 32, to remember, and therefore it is important, and there are obviously lessons there that he wants us to glean from this incident, which we have briefly recounted tonight. Lot's wife perished, 
first of all, although she had departed from Sodom, she did leave. She had left the city. But she perished nonetheless. Why? Because she looked back. An obvious application for us is that we must not in our heart look back once we've left the city of sin. Once we've left, left the kingdom of Satan. Godly sorrow is to produce repentance, not to be repented of. Not to be regretted, as the New King James says. That's a powerful verse, isn't it? That we are to experience in our hearts godly sorrow that produces or works toward repentance not to be regretted. Don't ever regret if you have repented and done everything else necessary to become a child of God tonight, don't ever regret that repentance. Are we specifically told why Lot's wife looked back? No. But I think the speculation is probably fairly prevalent that there was some longing in some way for what she was leaving. We must never look back upon kingdom of Satan which we've been privileged to leave if we're children of God tonight. In fact, not only are we not to look back, but we are to look in exactly the opposite direction. Philippians 3, 13 and 14. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended or laid hold, but this one thing I do. What? Forgetting the things that are behind and pressing forward to the things which are ahead. I press toward the mark of the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Don't look back. What would you think would be the classic verse? If you had to find a classic verse that would illustrate not looking back once we have made a decision to follow Christ. Well, you remember those who, who came to Jesus and said they would follow him? Verse 58 of Luke chapter 9, Jesus said to him, as one man came and said, I'll follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Then he said to another, Follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. Jesus said to him, let the dead bear their own dead, but you go and preach the kingdom of God. And another also said, Lord, I will follow you, but let me first go and bid them farewell who are at my house. And then Jesus said this in verse 62. No one having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. I don't think you can help but think about Lot's wife when you read those verses. She looked back. She did not look forward, and she did not obey. You know, our responsibility is to apply ourselves to growing in the kingdom of God. In Hebrews chapter 10, the writer of Hebrews emphasizes that so strongly as he writes to those Hebrew Christians, Christians who had come out of Judaism and pleads with them not to turn their backs upon their newfound faith and to go back, to look back, if you will, to a system that could no longer save them. And so in verse 36 of Hebrews chapter 10, he writes, For you have need of endurance, 
so that after you have done the will of God, you may receive the promise. Then verse 38, Now the just shall live by faith, but if anyone draws back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those, he adds, who draw back to perdition, but of those who believe to the saving of the soul. Lot's wife drew back, as it were, looked back to the destruction of her soul and life, of her life. We've got to keep moving forward, growing in our faith. You know, in giving the Great Commission in Matthew 28, 19 and 20, the Lord said that we do go and baptize, teach, baptize, make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them into the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I've commanded you. And then he says, and lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age, which implies what? The commission is to go, but for how long? Till the end of the age. You go as long as I'm with you in your going. And how long will I be with you in your going? I'll be with you in your going until the end of the age. Don't you ever look back. Don't ever turn your back upon the Great Commission. Don't ever turn your back upon the gospel and its power to save. We've got to keep going. Yes, Lot's wife perished, although she had departed from Sodom. And there are those, tragically, who have left the kingdom of Satan and have entered the kingdom of God, who have left the world, as it were, and entered the kingdom, but the world doesn't leave them forevermore, and they turn back to the desires and the practices that once characterized them when they were still a part of the kingdom of Satan. That is a tragedy beyond description as Peter describes it, as the dog turning to its own vomit again, the sow that was washed to her wallowing in the mire. And he says in that context in Second Peter 2, 20 through 22, it would have been better never to have known the way of righteousness than having known it, to turn your back upon the holy commandment once delivered to you. Don't look back. We also need to remember that Lot's wife perished, although she made some effort to be saved. She did make some effort to be saved. And there are those today who will make some effort to be saved, but fall short of everything that God requires. In fact, most people in the world in which we live tonight who claim to be Christians have done just that. They have made some effort to be saved, but their efforts have not been completed in harmony fully with the will of God. Even those who have truly obeyed the gospel, as we have just alluded to, have made effort to be saved and have been saved from their past sins, but their efforts have ceased and they've gone back into the world. We must be faithful and obedient unto death or it will mean our demise. Be faithful unto death and I'll give you the crown of life. Revelation 2 and verse 10. And our efforts must continue to be steadfast efforts, as Paul admonished in 1 Corinthians 15, 58. Be steadfast, unmovable. Always what? Relaxing in the work of the Lord? Always remaining stagnant in the work of the Lord? No, always abounding in the work of the Lord. For as much as you know that your labor is not in vain 
in the Lord. And I like what Paul wrote in Philippians 2 and verse 12 along these lines when he wrote, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Reverential fear and trembling. Work out your own salvation. She made effort, some effort to be saved, but she perished because she didn't complete those efforts. A third thing about Lot's wife that we need to remember is that she perished although she was warned of her danger. And oh, how replete the scriptures are with warnings about the danger of not obeying the gospel, the dangers of falling away once we have obeyed the gospel. No one will be able to stand before God and Christ in judgment and say that there were no warnings given in God's word. Hebrews 2, going back to the book of Hebrews again, at verse 1 beginning, Therefore we must give the more earnest heed, he's writing here to Christians now who have obeyed the gospel, the more earnest heed we're to give to the things we have heard lest we drift away. And then he goes on for it, The word spoken through angels proved steadfast, talking about the old covenant, and every transgression and disobedience received a just reward, how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation, which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed to us by those who heard him, God also bearing witness both with signs and wonders, with various miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit according to his own will. How shall we escape? By heeding the warning. Lot's wife did not. In Hebrews 5, 8 and 9, the writer referring to Jesus as though he was a son. Yet he learned obedience by the things which he suffered. And having been perfected, he became the author of eternal salvation to all who obey him. We must heed the warning and obey Jesus today. There's another reason why Lot's wife perished. She perished, or despite what she had, she perished although she was the wife of a righteous man. And she was actually in the company of that righteous man at the time that she perished. Lot was a righteous man. I know he was because Peter, by inspiration, tells me he was. He wasn't a perfect individual, not sinlessly perfect. None of us is in that respect, but he was a righteous man. And he vexed his righteous soul from day to day with the unlawful deeds of that evil city in which he had chosen to live. In speaking of the deliverance that we're talking about tonight from Genesis, Peter says this, turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, condemned them to destruction, making them an example to those who afterward would live ungodly. Then verse 7 of 2 Peter 2, and delivered righteous Lot, who was oppressed by the filthy conduct of the wicked. For that righteous man dwelling among them tormented his righteous soul from day to day by seeing and hearing their lawless deeds. Peter says he was a righteous man. And he tormented his righteous soul day in and day out. 
because of those evil deeds. Sin separates an individual from God. Isaiah 59, 1 and 2. The Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, nor his ear heavy that it cannot hear. But your iniquities have separated between you and your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear. But that's the point. It's our own sin that separates us. Because it's our own sin for which we must be responsible and accountable. Remember Galatians 6 and verse 5, each one shall bear his own burden, meaning in that use of the word burden, load or responsibility. We are all individually responsible for our sins. And so it matters not how righteous my spouse may be. I'm going to be judged not on my spouse's righteousness, but upon my own. The soul that sins, Ezekiel reminds us in Ezekiel 18:20, it shall die. The son shall not bear the iniquity of the father, nor the father the iniquity of the son. The righteousness of the righteous will be upon him, the iniquity of the unrighteous upon him. The soul that sins, it shall die. Oh, that's not to say that we should not be extremely careful to put ourselves in the company and the companionship of righteous people. We should, obviously. And that is not to say that we should not be concerned about the mate we choose with whom to live our life. We should be very careful. Because I cannot help but think, and I think I've mentioned this before, what happens to those godly wives of gospel preachers who when their husbands go astray, and many have, what happens to them? Do you ever hear about that much? Probably every one of us here tonight can think of some once faithful gospel preacher who has completely apostatized, married to a good Christian woman, no doubt. What happened to her when he left the faith? Oh, yes, there's no absolute assurance that choosing a Christian mate will ultimately and finally be to our benefit. But nonetheless, that's the better choice, obviously, isn't it? But even in making that choice of a Christian mate, we need to be very careful. Indeed. Each one shall bear his own load. And also remember, and finally, that Lot's wife perished, although she committed one sin. One sin. Not to say that she never committed any other sins, but she is condemned in Scripture for the commission of one sin because she directly disobeyed the commandment of God. Faith in God is very important. And maintaining that faith and understanding and appreciating that it is not the cumulative effect of sin that can destroy us, but the one sin of which we will not repent, the one sin will separate us from God. But thanks be to God. Thanks be to God that every sin can be forgiven 
and will be forgiven by the God of heaven through the blood of his son Jesus Christ for those who will initially come to him in obedience to the gospel, claim the forgiving power of that blood and the cleansing power of that blood, and then rise to continually claim that cleansing power as he or she walks in the light as God is in the light. And that's what John assures us of, isn't it, in that familiar text in 1 John 1, 7 through 9. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with God, with one another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, keeps on cleansing is the idea, cleanses us from our sin. We say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Keep on walking, keep on being washed in the blood of Jesus Christ. But even one sin in Lot's wife's situation separated her from God as any sin will do. But thanks be to God that under this, the new covenant, we have the opportunity for all sin to be completely obliterated, washed clean by the blood of the Lamb. And that has to be done by faith. Faith is the fuel that keeps us coming to God. It's the fuel that brings us to God initially, and it's the fuel that keeps us coming to God day in and day out. For without faith, it is impossible to please Him. For he who comes to God must believe that He is, and that He is a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. Remember Lot's wife. Remember Lot's wife so that we may learn to never, ever turn back from serving God. To know and to appreciate that we must ever keep our eyes on Jesus and our eternal salvation that is found only in Him. Looking unto Jesus, again the Hebrews writer reminds us, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. Have you looked to Jesus tonight initially by a belief in the gospel that Jesus brought to mankind? Have you looked to Jesus by acting upon that belief in him to repent fully of a sinful life, to confess him sweetly as the Christ, the Son of the living God, and then to be buried with him in baptism for the remission of sins? If you haven't done so, it's the only way that you can indeed claim the cleansing power of the blood that was shed so long ago on Calvary. The blood that God is willing to and ready to apply when you're ready to comply with his will and be buried in baptism. Rising therefrom to walk in newness of life, continually cleansed by that same blood as you continue to walk in the light as he is in the light, and as you remember, not to look back, but to look unto Jesus, the author and finisher of your faith. You need to come home to your first love. We plead with you to do that tonight as we stand to sing to encourage you. Will you come?